Good morning. I want you to keep that phrase about the power of a cross in your mind's eye this morning as we go through our text. Would you take your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For those that are visiting, we're engaged in a series looking at Solomon exploring life apart from God. As you're turning there, I just want to make this note in case some of you aren't too observant. As you see, the stage and lobby looks a little different this Sunday. We're entering a week of VBS, and then next Sunday is really the closing program for VBS Sunday morning, and we really want you to pray for two things. Of course, pray for all the workers, pray for their strength, pray for their wisdom, pray for the kids, keep them safe this week, pray for open minds, but next week is we're inviting the community in, and some families who really have never gone into a church before on a Sunday morning, uh, two things, pray. Pray that they will understand about the power of the cross through Jesus Christ. And I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to pray that you'll be on your best behavior, okay? I don't know about you, but I need to pray that for me. Because sometimes I'm not always as well behaved as I should. I want to explain my title, Do Church. And by that I mean not go to church. That's important. Hebrews talks about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Some have the habit of doing. That's probably not a really good verse to preach on in the summer, is it? Do church means that you live Christ. It's the kind of doing that flows out of our being. It's, it's not a set of religious activities. So when I talk about doing church or do church, it's about being the church. It's the church without walls. It's our core ministry, which is to live Christ in the midst of our circumstances. So no matter what job you have, no matter what community you live in, no matter what circumstance of life you're going through, your mission is to live Jesus Christ. Amen? So Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's, in verse 9, it's kind of an interlude, okay? It's, if you follow sports, if you follow basketball, the coach calls a timeout. He says, let's come to the bench, let's have a talk. And it's one of those rare moments, in fact, it's the only moment so far in Ecclesiastes that Solomon says, let's pause, let's move away from my argument. Remember, his argument is that perspective, if you take God out of the picture, if you pursue life and we talked two things so far. One was hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure. Philosophy, the pursuit of just trying to figure out life on our own. He says, let's just take a time out and let's get a glimpse of life from God's perspective. Now, you come with a perspective this morning. It may be a good perspective. It may be a not so good perspective. But Solomon reminds us that, okay, it's, well, it's not okay, but in pursuing life without God, he just wants to take a pause and say, listen, remember God's the designer, he's the creator, and he knows everything, and we need to trust him. So in spite of all my argument, whether or not you believe me or not, in spite of all my experience, in spite of all my pursuit, and me laying this down in a journal, saying, listen, life apart from God is meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. 
He describes it as trying to chase the wind. He says, let's for a moment talk about God. And let me give this example. Let's say you have a physical problem. Who do you go see? Car mechanic? I mean, your argument is he's only 60 bucks an hour. You know, the doctor's a few hundred an hour. Do you go see someone who works on boats? Maybe go see a vet saying, okay, we're close enough to dogs and cats. Maybe the vet can help me cheaper. What about a chef or a CEO of a company? No, when you have a physical problem, you go where? You go to the physician. Why? Because they are trained, they are designed, they understand our bodies better than most people around us. So Solomon is reminding us, listen, when you go to life, you go to the creator designer of life. And with God, he tells us we have this incredible access to power. We just sang about the power of the cross. We sang about forgiveness. You see, Satan's strategy is to get you not to see it or not to believe it or to make you think that somehow you're the exception. It works for everybody else, but not me. So we're going to talk about some things this morning. And if you begin to exclude yourself, I got two words for you. Stop it. Don't listen to the lies. Because everything that Solomon talks about in this time out is available to every single person here this morning. Now to catch up, again, Solomon says, let me explore life. He was the king. He was wealthy. He had the time, the energy. He could make the laws to pursue life apart from God. His concluding statement was it was meaningless. It was vanity. It was empty. It was useless. It gave no lasting purpose on any level. So let's pick up at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 9. I know we did this last week, but it's a great question to ask. What gain or what value has the worker from all his toil? What's the value? What's the value of Everything I do, every single day I wake up. What's the value of what I eat? What's the value of where I go to work? What's the value of my friends? What is its value? Now the problem, if we think about life under the sun, is that we don't think far enough out. And we settle for the immediate and the temporary. Let's look at verse 10 and 11. I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He meaning God. Also, he, God, has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Two truths he tells us about God. Here's the first. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Now, here's what we do with time. We look back. And when we look back, we have two perspectives. One is the good old days. And of course, the good old days are never quite as good as we think they were, but it's how we paint those. Or we look back with regrets. And we live in this perspective of, you know, I should have, I wasted, I messed up. And then we live in that prison, that dungeon of time past. But we also look future. And again, two perspectives. 
One person says, you know, if only I, and you fill the blank in. When I get this promotion, when I get this money, when I buy this vehicle, when I get to this house. If only, and they live in the future tense saying, then and I'll be happy. I'll gain access to what I think will give me purpose. Now some look to the future and they're so busy looking back, they miss the present. So they're either living in their past or they're living in their future and not realizing the perspective that God's called us to live in this day. And Solomon says, you know, we need to stop and see the beauty. We need to stop and be thankful for God, his gifts, his grace. Stop for the business God has been giving us. Stop for the purpose and meaning. And again, this business isn't necessarily our jobs. We can enjoy our jobs or we can hate our jobs. But that's not why we're here. See, we are here and we are called to be the church. We are called to do church. We are placed in our time and space to be Christ. So God has a purpose for you. And your purpose is not to sit here and wait till he comes again. That'll happen someday. And I know we'll all be happy when that happens. But until we see him face to face, he says, listen, look at the purpose, look at the meaning. Realize that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Enjoy what you have. Not about what you think you should have, not about what you thought you had. And the second truth he tells us is that he said eternity in our hearts. When you observe people and cultures, what I find fascinating, and it really doesn't matter who it is, you observe this longing for something more. By more, I mean they talk about the afterlife. You can study Hollywood, the movies they make. You can study most religions. All of them put this sense of something more than what this present is. But he reminds us that we don't have the entire picture. So here's the problem. When we know there's something more, and we long for that, and we don't have the entire picture, we become too easily pleased. By that I mean we settle for sin instead of holiness. We settle for idolatry instead of worship. We settle for junk food instead of his feasts. We settle for things that do not satisfy instead of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. And when I see this eternity thing, I, I got to admit, I think the church has a bad marketing strategy for this. Whenever you see pictures of heaven, at least out there somewhere, you see overgrown babies sitting in clouds with little wings in their back playing harps. That does not excite me, can you tell? Or we act like heaven's going to be one big long worship service. Even though I'm a preacher and enjoy worship services, I got to tell you, that doesn't excite me going to church 24-7, you know, seven days a week, 52. Of course, I guess in heaven, time doesn't exist, so we can't talk it that way. Why don't we talk about things like the new heavens and the new earth? Why don't we talk about this world of sin and sickness? It's gone. 
It's no more. No death, no discouragement, no temptation, no depression. I mean, why don't we look at this whole strategy? He created these universes upon universes upon universes, and we are just now beginning to explore them. Why do you think they're there? Can I share a bit of what I think? Now, this might get weird for some people, but that's okay. It's just what I think. I look around in our world and, you know, people like to try to, for instance, fly. You ever see those little squirrel suits they hop off cliffs with and sail down through? I mean, I got to admit that looks very fascinating to me. But for those that don't want to risk that, what do we do? We jump out of planes. We parachute down. Or we get into a plane and we fly. And then there's people who love water and they scuba dive and they go down and they, they see things that you cannot see above the water. We try to conquer outer space. I mean, they're planning a flight to Mars now. Why? I think God put those things in our hearts. And I think when you look back at original creation, personally, I think the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to get to fly. We're going to get to scuba dive without tanks. We're going to get to explore this universe. And of course, all eternity, it needs to be pretty big. Why? Because we got all eternity to explore it. So when I think of heaven, I just think about the possibilities that you and I cannot even begin to think about. But that's something that God set in our hearts. He's made everything beautiful in its time, and he set eternity, this longing for something more down deep inside of us. And you know it's there. You know you want something more than you have right now. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. Here we see God giving us four gifts. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all this. This is God's gift to man. Four gifts. First is the ability to rejoice and enjoy life. Think about the privilege. You have a choice. You can enjoy life. Why? Because God gives us an alternative perspective and experience. Or you can choose not to enjoy life. Now, I know there's a lot of people that look at this whole victimization thing, and they look at life, and they can't enjoy it, and they say it's imposed upon them. But that's not what Solomon's saying. He's saying God gives you the ability to have the perspective that no matter what circumstance you are in, you can enjoy this world. You can see the beauty of God around you. You can realize that this is not all there is because God set eternity in your hearts. Now, what kind of perspective are we talking about? You know, Paul says, and he talks about in Romans, the love of God in Christ. And here's what he tells you. If you have the love of Christ in you, you look at the world, and no matter what's going on, you tell them, you can't touch this. Nothing can touch it. And he gives this list of all possible things outside of us. But Romans 8, just let me kind of go down through this and listen to what he says. In Romans 8, verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
Then later on in verse 26, he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. So you begin to see this power of the cross, this power of perspective. It is something that supernaturally throws through us, through the Holy Spirit, that enables us to be the church no matter what circumstance we face. Then in verse 28, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. He doesn't say all things are good. He says all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Then a set of verses I think that every single person should memorize. And it's something we should repeat every single day. I'm a strong believer in certain rituals because I forget so quickly. And my perspective gets distorted so quickly and it gets so busy with things of this world. I fail to center myself on the wonderful love and glory of who God is through Jesus Christ. But here's what he says in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ in verse 35? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He doesn't say we're conquerors, that we're going to win. He says we are more than conquerors. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what that means? Here's the practical application. You don't have to be afraid of the election coming this fall. (laughs) Regardless of what happens there, we have the power of the cross. We have the power of the spirit. We can be the church in the midst of whatever situation is thrown at us because nothing can touch this. That's the first gift. What a gift. Secondly, he says he gives us the ability to do good in this life. This has to do with present purpose. This has to do with mission. Now, we're going to talk more about this in two weeks. It's really the theme of justice and social action, which is huge today. But here's what God says. If you are breathing, how many people are breathing here this morning? Okay, if someone didn't raise their hand, look next to that person, make sure they're breathing or sleeping or whatever. God says, if you are breathing, you can do a lot of good in this world. If you are breathing, if you're alive, you can bring hope to somebody. There was a rumor this past week, and Tim Tebow had to get on YouTube because the rumor was he was speaking at the GOP convention. (laughs) He was in the Philippines on a mission while this rumor started. So he posted a line, and here's what he said. I just got back from the Philippines, and I wake up to find that I'm speaking at the RNC. It's a rumor. And then he says, my mission in life is to focus on doing good and fighting for kids who cannot fight for themselves. I thought, wow. He's centered. He knows what it's about. It's not about being on stage. It's not about fame. It's not about being in the political arena if God hasn't called you there. If God's called you there, great, then go. And we are a nation of rumors, aren't we? And we are a nation of accusations. Think about being the church and simply focusing on doing good. 
God has given us this ability and this privilege. The third ability he's given to us a gift is the ability in eating and drinking. I know some of you are thinking about already what you're going to have for lunch. And you're getting hungry for this, aren't you? And you're thinking about where you're going to go or what's cooking at home. Have you ever thought that's a gift? Think about if food wasn't so enjoyable. I grew up in a farm. In fact, the farm we grew up on raised a certain kind of tomato. It's called Washington Borough Tomatoes. Amen. <laughs> if you didn't know, the last living redneck festival in Lancaster County is called the Washington Borough Tomato Festival. Now, I have to admit, I had not been there since I've dated my wife. And we went last night, and I couldn't believe how it's kind of morphed and transformed. But when you go to a tomato festival, what do you get? You get a BLT, you know? Why? Because it's good to eat. Then you wash that down with a piece of homemade pie, and if you're a funk, you have to have ice cream on the pie. It just doesn't exist. But it's a gift from God. And think about the diversity of our food. We have all kinds of flavors. And when you sit down, you realize, you know what, God? Thank you. Thank you. Remember going to Zimbabwe for the first time, and over there, their diversity isn't great. It's sudza for breakfast, sudza for lunch, and sudza for supper. It's a cornmeal paste that they can cook and make and leave that it will not decay because they don't have refrigeration. Now, when guests come from America, they usually add one other thing to it. It's called goat. And for them, goat's a treat. But we watch them enjoy the food they have because they know on any given day they might not have food when they wake up. But that is a gift. The fourth gift is the ability to see good in all our labor. Again, this is a perspective. Under the sun perspective, remember what Solomon talked about? He says, I earn what I get and it's never enough. I earn what I get. I'm afraid that I'm going to die and someone else is going to get it that doesn't deserve it. So I cling on to it. And I hate the fact that I'm going to die. And I hate the fact that somebody unworthy is going to get it. Above the sun perspective, Solomon says, I get what I never deserve and what I can never earn. I get things like forgiveness and eternal life and grace and hope and life beyond the grave. What I get is mission. I get purpose. I get meaning. And as Solomon tells us, it's not about us. We are here to worship to an audience of one. And our main goal is to give God the honor and glory that he deserves. And we'll get into that in a moment. Let's read on in verse 14 and 15. This tells us what God does. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it. So that people fear before him. And the word fear there has to do with the idea of respect. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Here's what God does. Whatever God does is complete and permanent. It's not shallow. It's not superficial. It has staying power. Nothing can be added to it. Let's take his love. It is complete. And if it's complete and permanent, 
Here's what it means. There's nothing you can do to cause God to love you any more than he does right now. That's what that means. It also means that there's nothing you can do to cause God to love you any less than he does right now. The power of the cross. When he spoke three words, it is what? Finished. That means it was finished. It was complete. It was permanent. When John says, for God so loved the world, that's you. And that anyone, and that everyone who comes to him through Jesus Christ will find this thing that we call salvation. Will find forgiveness. That's complete. That's permanent. See, there's only one thing that can keep you away from Christ. There's only one thing that can keep you away from God. And that is unbelief. And that's your perspective. And so you have a choice this morning. What God does is he cultivates a culture of respect. When you take the time to look at his creation and change lives, when you hear stories of transformation, there's only one conclusion. God is awesome. Our culture of lack of respect, this under-the-sun perspective, I mean, look around and hear the stories, hear people talking about it's selfish, it's tribal, it's our way, we take what we think we deserve, and what is the consequence of life under the sun? It's violence. It's violence again in our world this week. A truck simply drives into a celebration, killing people at random. It's violence where in Pakistani, one of their models decides to take a selfie and she, by her family, is honor killed. Because you don't do that. And while we cry against this, and we should, think about how we use our words to drive into people, killing them with their rumors and our accusations. See, the perspective today in America is, please don't confuse me with the truth. And that's sad because following God builds a culture of respect. Just not for those in the church, but also for those outside the church. Because our main mission is what? To introduce Jesus Christ to those people. Our main mission is not to get people outside the church to act like Christians. You're not good enough. <laughs> I'm not good enough. As we saw last couple of weeks, you can't legislate morality. Only Christ can transform the heart. Only Christ can free people from their addictions. Only Christ can free people from their slavery of self. Now, a third thing that God does, and most parents will identify with this, he repeats things until we get it. <laughs> he repeats things until we have learned. How many frustrated parents do we have? And they say, you know, I talk to my children. And I say, when will they learn? And it's really frustrating. When will they learn to clean up their bedrooms? When will they learn to take out? When will they just listen and learn? Any parent feel that way? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Where do they learn this from? 
This is where you look at a mirror and you say, they learn it from me. I think about how kids whine today. Oh, do we have to? You know, I know a lot of Christians who claim they don't drink alcohol, but they sure like their wine. W-H-I-N-E. It's interesting how we behave the same with God, isn't it? He teaches us, we don't listen. He teaches us, we don't listen. He teaches us, we don't listen. But God is so perfect and complete. He builds a culture of respect. He's always there. He always pursues us. He always loves us. He will always forgive us in spite of who we are. So let me go back where I began. We all choose life. And there's really two options. You can choose life without God. And there's a lot of religious versions of this. And there's a lot of religious versions of this even in the Christian community. Or you can choose to live with God at the center. One leads to a life of, well, for instance, the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, we read these words, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd love to see the evening news built around this model. Now, backing up in Galatians 5, here's the other choice. One leads to a life of self. And Paul writes, now the works of the flesh are evident. And he lists these, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. The word sorcery there is the Greek word pharmaceutical, means drugs. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So the list was incomplete. But the list there is pretty bad, isn't it? In fact, this list makes the evening news almost every single night. So here's what Solomon says in the timeout. Calls you to the bench. You're in the game of life. And here's what he tells you. If you want more violence that you see around you in our world, in our country, if you want more perspectives that divide rather than unite, if you want more life with a lack of wisdom and understanding how to navigate this life, just remove God from life. Just pretend he isn't there. And you'll get that in politics You'll get that in religion. Doesn't matter whether you're Muslim or Baptist. You will get that. You'll get that in materialism. you get that in education. you get that in hedonism. It will never be enough. It will temporarily make you smile. But in the long run, there is absolutely no purpose or meaning in those activities. If you want more violence, he says, just keep thinking that everyone else is not as smart as you. I love listening to some blogs and people writing about how intelligent they are and they've solved the world's problems of violence. Amazing to me is they all disagree. <laughs> now Solomon flips the coin and says, if you want to live 
life. If you want purpose and meaning, if you want joy and peace and love, if you want to do good, if you want to enjoy eating, if you want to see God at work, if you want to see the possibility of Christ, then you must keep God at center and allow Christ to transform your heart. Now, I know it sounds simplistic, but Solomon says those are the two choices. Life with God. And if you go with God, you got to trust him because he is smarter than you. And you got to find him through Jesus Christ. And you got to live for Christ via the Holy Spirit. And you realize that all of life is worship. And that you're on a mission to be Christ, to do church where he's placed you. Or you can make all the excuses in the world. You can opt out. You can say, but I'm the exception. You look at your past, you can say, well, you know, I made far too many mistakes. I can't get out of this. Or you can say, you know, future date someday. When I finally, you know, am free and clear of this kind of thinking and this kind of living, then I'll give my life over to Christ. Doesn't work that way. It's now. This present moment. So you have a choice. We're coming to the end of the service. And I want you to think about those choices this morning. We got some very precious lives coming in this week. We call them children. We had the joy of going to the dedication of our granddaughter this morning. Named Selah. And you sit there and you think about the possibilities of that little girl and what that holds. And then we got the joy of hearing our son preach. And we were humbled by that. But what a joy and what a blessing that he has decided to follow Jesus and allow that to come through his life in many different ways. By the way, uh, let me say this. These choices make none of us perfect. By that, I simply mean once you accept Christ, doesn't mean that you're going to be sinless. You're going to make mistakes. You don't excuse those. You don't take them lightly. You always get back on and bring Christ to where he needs to be. And for some of you say, well, you don't know the kind of sin I've been involved in. Well, all of us have sinned. And I don't want to minimize your sin, but be careful because by you saying you're a worse sinner than anybody else, then you minimize my sin. And all sin comes short of the glory of God. All sin separates people from Christ. All sin ultimately does violence to the person and people around them. So, for those that have never made that decision, I want to make that offer this morning. Choose life in Christ. And if you haven't been here before, what I simply do is have you stand up because we're going to pair somebody up with you. They're going to sit down with you and explain this to make sure you understand. So if you're here this morning and want to make that choice for Christ, I'm going to ask you to stand up. You don't need to be afraid. There's one. Anyone else? Two, three, four. You're allowed to clap. Go ahead. Okay. If you young men, somebody to the back, uh, they're going to meet you there and they're going to talk to you in a separate place. Um, so you can go ahead and go. Anyone else?
You know, we talk about the church being a safe place. You realize it's one of the most dangerous places to be. Because when you come face to face with Christ, you will be transformed. Just not changed. You'll be transformed. And he does things in you and through you that you never dreamed of. But what a perspective to do good, to enjoy life. To have and say to this world, you know, you can't touch this. You can't touch my Christ. You can't touch his love. To the rest of us who have made those kind of decisions, I want to say this. It's kind of, and I don't know about you, but there's certain days I just kind of (laughs) re-up. Say, you know what? I've gotten off track. I've kind of pursued life. Even though I know you and I'm doing my daily devos and things like that, I just need to recenter myself. And I think on a morning like this, we just kind of recommit saying, God, okay, you know what? It's you. It's only you. Tomorrow when I wake up, tell me who to bless. Tell me where to go. Teach me to hear because my hearing's been dull because I pursued my own self. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to sing a song. It's called One Thing Remains. As they come, I want to pray with you and for you. Gracious Father, uh, I pray for these young men that have stood up this morning. We know that in heaven they're doing backflips and rejoicing and all those kinds of things because you understood what the possibilities exist. And you also know as they go out this week, there's going to be a whole lot of Satan being thrown at them. And we pray for them and we pray against these powers because as strong as they are, they can't touch this love that you have in them. So make it firm, make it complete, make it permanent. And we just praise you for this. We, we praise you for their willingness to make this decision. I pray for others, Lord, that have been afraid to make that because, well, we believe the lies and we have all these reasons. Um, I pray that they don't stop there. But even today or tomorrow or the next day, they seek someone else out and say, listen, I need to do this and here's why. And I pray for all of us, Lord. We're reminded again this morning that we need to take timeouts and center ourselves and realize this world is so full of you, its beauty and its power. And we have this privilege to live it out in ways that we cannot accomplish on our own. And we just kind of re-up that commitment and say, okay, Lord, do what you do best through us. And we'll be standing back amazed and realize how awesome you are as you bring glory to yourself and respect to this world. Maybe not allow fear to overcome us. Maybe not allow ignorance to stop your wisdom. And maybe not let the love of this world supersede the love that you have in us and through us. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.